Zestra Chat and the Pondillo, Jared Webb, back after a month-long hiatus where we watched the playoff baseball, a lot of TV shows, and the Astros make a few moves. So, Jared, you know, the way the season ended, I think all of us were just kind of bummed about what the Astros did this year. Season felt a little long. They fell way under many ex expectations. Yet, as we headed into the offseason, we knew there still could be a decent amount of optimism if Jeff Luno and the gang was able to make some moves to improve some key areas of the team. You know me, I've begged for veterans, and I got two of them uh, right off the bat this offseason. Brian McCann, Josh Reddick come to the Astros, and plenty of rumors still to go around about the team making some moves. Uh, your first impressions on these two moves, and... You know, what do you want to see next as the team moves forward? At the end of the day, the team got better. Um, and I think they got a decent amount better. Uh, and really, they only gave up anything of use in the McCann trade. And that's a really young right-handed power arm. But again, you can you can take that. You know, he this kid is just, he's a project, you know, and give the Yankees the project and we'll take McCann over here to kind of balance us out on the left side of the plate. Um, I like both moves at the end of the day, the team got better and that's, that's what you want to do. And it really only cost us money. It cost us one, like two D okay ish prospects and money. And that's okay. Well, Brian McCann coming over. Let's talk about him first. The, catcher you obviously know him with the atlanta braves kind of crazy to think that he was playing against the astros in the 2005 nlds 2004 nlds or actually only 2005 uh, but uh, now only 32 years of age i think a lot of us think that he's probably much older than that being in the league as long as he has camp as a 21 year old said multiple all-star seasons hits for a lot of power at the catcher position really uh, I feel like with McCann, you know close to what you're going to get. Uh, we're starting to see certain numbers on him decline last year, uh, but you do get him on this energetic team. You get him in a functional lineup. Uh, you expect maybe you'll see some of those run production numbers go up, and most importantly, he comes here, Jared. He doesn't have to be the guy. I think he needs to be an important guy in the clubhouse, but in terms of production, He's a guy who can bat sixth in the lineup and, you know, really not have to depend on him to save the day, but lengthens the lineup. Uh, you pump, bump maybe Gaddis down, you bump maybe Guriel down, and, you know, it gives you those options through the middle of the order where you're not uh, struggling after you get past the four or five hole. Yeah, this trade worked out for both teams. The Yankees now have Gary Sanchez fully claiming that position. Uh, and the Astros get a left-handed bat behind the plate. Castro, I think Castro did a really good job for Houston. And I'm really, I actually was okay with the thought of bringing him back. But I'll tell you this, here's the thing. McCann is a much better offensive option for me. Uh, he, he always gets on base. He's a 20-home-run he's a left-handed bat. Uh, and he actually could, could actually really benefit from a lesser role where he's not having to catch the lion's share of the games and they ate some money on the deal. So uh, this, again, the team got better. So now you look at the catcher position right now. Do you see this as 
uh, what we saw a lot of last year where one's DHing and one's catching, and, you know, that's your, you know, 80% of the time lineup between Gaddis and McCann. I do think that'll be the case. Um, I think they will rotate rotate out more than anyone. Um, we may still get to see some of the outfielders moving through, but I think for the most part that that is going to be the DH position um, if you want to see McCann in the lineup. But again, McCann is mainly going to face right-handers, uh, so he'll 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 sit some, and probably it'll be more of a a platoon thing because that's kind of where he is in his career. Indeed, and then we also have Josh Reddick who comes to the Astros, which you've been on for a long time, Jared. That's I my guy. That, that's my that's guy. That's guy, but you know, for some of the Astros Twitter, it isn't their guy. So um, explain to us some of the concerns that some people have, why they're kind of outlandish in both of our opinions. And, you know, Josh Reddick comes in with a on-base average last year, 345, a guy that brings a pulse to your lineup, a guy that does baseball, in my opinion, we're not always looking for the home run. They need some singles and some walks at the bottom of that order, and it offers something different to this team that they've been lacking. Yeah, I'm a big Josh Reddick guy because I, I think immediately he comes in and he'll blo- uh, bond with this clubhouse really well. He's you know real energetic guy, and what he what he's bringing to the actual team as far as baseball skills, he's a great defender. Yeah, he did struggle last year at the end of the year after that trade. One, he was traded, and that is difficult. Uh, and two, he he suffers from injuries a lot, and it, I think he was hurt at the end of the season and tried to play through it a little bit, but it didn't go well. But you know what you're getting with Josh Reddick. If he stays healthy uh, for a good part of this contract, then this will be a good move. It, again, it balances out the lineup, gives us a little bit of pop from the left side of the plate, and you're not sacrificing anything in the field when Josh Reddick is out there. I, and I again, I cannot emphasize this more that I think he's going to fit in really well with this young clubhouse. But again, he's been there. He's been to the show. He's he's kind of seen it. Um, but again, I really like this move. And this one is only money. It's just money. And it's really not that much money. I know we see 452. That's not that much money anymore. You know, both of these guys, too, uh, they come in as veterans that have been there. They've done had some playoff battles, have been on successful teams, and, you know, can offer a voice in that clubhouse to where, you know, that you have the young superstars on this team, but they don't necessarily have, I guess, the guys who can put the, you know, people in place other than A.J. Hinch. I feel like Hinch has to play manager and he has to play team leader at times. So especially McCann uh, has been through so much in his career, labeled a good clubhouse guy. Uh, that'll be extremely beneficial. But what I'm more interested in seeing, Jared, is uh, McCann, the commissioner of the baseball police, uh, at what point does an opposing team do a bat flip and and something starts? And more importantly, Carlos Gomez comes up and bat flips the Astros. Will we see a Brian McCann and Gomez throwdown? McCann's old school. That, That is very true. I think there are going to be parts where that helps the team, where it helps a young team that kind of goes out, maybe tries to go too hard early, and McCann kind of, you know, stern, grumpy uncle kind of wags the finger at him and slows him down. I think it'll be helpful in those kind of situations where he's maybe looked to as as an authority figure and someone who they understand has been there, uh, where I 
I, I don't want him to affect the energy of the team because obviously this very young clubhouse, it's very good when they're energetic, when they're pumped up and ready to go, and you don't want to see him stripped of that. So you, you kind of, which is, let's see if he can do the better of the two. But if he punches out Carlos Gomez, he'll be a hero on Astros Twitter for life. Like he, he would probably uh, be right under Jeff Bagwell in terms of all time Astros. Oh, I'm sure they'd uh, they'd have him trying to run for a a political position or something at that point. Well, don't give anybody the idea right now. But uh, hey, uh, Astros make the two big moves. There's another minor one. Uh, that was Nori Ioki. Uh, probably a forgotten about guy in that. She fixed that outfield situation with Josh Reddick. But, you know, Jared, you and I have talked earlier about this. Ioki, he gets on base. He doesn't do a whole lot of anything else. But, heck, he gets on base, and there weren't enough of those guys with the Astros last year. He may have a bit bigger of a role on this team than some people think. Yeah, I, I really like this addition. I mean... Aoki's been around the block. You know exactly what he is, and he is very inexpensive. You're right. He gets on base. He gets on base. He gets on base. He gets on base. That's just keep saying that and remembering why he was brought here. He knows how to put the bat on the ball. He is not going to hit the ball very hard, but he's also he's not going to hurt you in the field. I, we ta- we've talked about this in previous issues. If you do everything well – you're you're going to have a good chance to stay on this team if you defend, if you run well, if you put the bat on the ball, if you get on base. That's the Astros want a balanced player. That's it's what they seem to like and that's exactly what Aoki is. He's a known commodity. And a guy that has a 353 career on base average. You know, that that's been I think one of the biggest things is we've had seen some of these athletic players on the Astros and some of them just haven't done a whole lot. You know, Jake Marisnik is probably the leader of that pack. Uh, but if you can find that balance, find guys that can just do something at the bottom of the order, it's going to be night and day for this team offensively. A team that's going to score a lot of runs through their first four to five hitters, but also a team that we saw last year down the stretch where Jose Altuve and George Springer looked like they were pressing so much towards the end of the year uh, that they completely got out of their game. A team that relied, I feel like, too much on these young guys. Uh, something to counteract that, some balance to the order, can just give them a chance to breathe every now and then. I feel like that's what we got to look at these moves more than anything, is even if these guys don't come in and become all-star players, they give your all-stars a chance to breathe, and that's necessary for especially Altuve, a guy that looked like he was pressing harder than just about anyone last season towards the end. Well, and what if this actually allows you to use Jake Marisnik in a more suitable role? Um, you start off the game with Marisnik in center field out there for the starter. So he's in there for the first four or five, you know, maybe six innings, and maybe then you need an offensive spark, so you you do some creative substitutions for Aoki, and now you've got a, a bat in the lineup that doesn't really hurt you defensively. If you if you if you look at this lineup, it very much justifies the use of Jake Marisnik. So you really like to see his speed and athleticism out there in center field, and this would kind of effectively manage. Hey, if we need a bat, that's when you throw in Aoki. You know, that's when you 
get creative with the outfield, move Springer to center field and Reddick over to right. Now let's go down the other lane here and a guy that I guess you can't rule out in the outfield mix because Jake Marisnik, I don't feel like you just give him the position in spring training. I feel like that, that should be something he still has to earn. Uh, but Teoscar Hernandez had a what I would call not a successful you know, year in terms of statistics, but he's a guy that looked like he had a pulse out there, a guy that kind of understood what he needed to do at the major league level. I wouldn't say just completely forget about him, though Jake Marisnik will be the favorite for that center field position. If Teoscar Hernandez is still here by spring training, I very much expect him to get an honest look. Um, But if you look at the possibilities of this, you have a potential outfield of Josh Reddick in left field, Jake Marisnik in center field, and George Springer in right field. That's the best defensive outfield in Major League Baseball, hands down. And you would really only sacrifice the bat, you know, while the starter's in. And then you throw Aoki in to give you the offensive spark, like I mentioned earlier. I just, that, even to me, who really just doesn't, I'm not a huge Marisnik guy. I I just, he doesn't do anything at all at the plate. You don't celebrate Jake Day? No, I do not celebrate Jake Day, but... Man, that that option of using him as the fourth outfielder and being creative, that 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 entices me. That intrigues me. I, I want to see that, and I want to see if it could be useful. That would be the best defensive outfield in baseball. Ever. No, I, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, I don't know about that. Oof. Ever. No, I, I, I wish, though. Um, but, you know, you're right. And, and really defensively, one thing I noticed watching postseason baseball this year is that uh, though the Astros had a lot of shortcomings versus, you know, all these other eight teams that we saw postseason play, they play better defense than just about everybody out there. And if you fix some of these holes, that's something that the Astros could beat a lot of teams with uh, going forward. You're going to have to obviously fix the starting pitching, you need a deeper lineup. Maybe they're starting to improve on that, but we've seen teams kick themselves in the foot over and over and over again through those three rounds of the playoffs, making errors that you just rarely see an Astros team do. And you know, that's something that, you know, I don't know if a lot of people really bank on uh, besides the baseball nerds with the casual fan. You just don't notice how much better the Astros are uh, than the rest of the league. Yeah. And again, what another thing that having such an elite defense does is it allows you, because again, When we say that there's five starters, obviously over the season, you're going to use way more than five starters. Um, It allows you to bring in a guy like Brady Rogers, you know, Joe Musgrove, those young guys who don't have a ton of experience. And you'll cover for some of their rookie mistakes because your defense is so good. So if Charlie Morton comes over and is healthy That looks like a much better move now because, yeah, he gets hit quite a bit, but he keeps the ball on the ground, and this team sucks up ground balls. I mean, really, just they just destroy them. So it makes those moves like Charlie Morton much more enticing. Like, hmm, with our defense, I wonder what he can do, you know? Well, that was the thing that we said about Doug Fister is, oh, we got a good defense to gobble everything up, and 
that worked out well for about half a season. <laughs> yeah, and he slowed down. And he slowed down, which, again, if you go listen to the podcast for the beginning of the season, we said the same thing. Like, he will slow down. He is not – he's 180 innings, but those last 30 are pretty rough. And that's that's kind of what they were. And He got you, Scott you know. Kazmierd. He did, and, and that happens. Those older guys, it just – it happens. It was. It was a. I was really happy with what we got from Doug Fister overall. So let's talk about starting pitching because that's what you've been on probably since what maybe yep. June last year, Jared. Uh, yep. What do you want to see right now? Starting pitching. The Astros make their moves. They give up minimal prospects. They get two offensive guys. Now you know they have just about everything to work with in terms of trade power to go out and get a powerful starting pitcher. What are you proposing? at this juncture of the hot stove season. Chris Archer. That's that's what I want for Christmas. I have tweeted to Jeff Luno. I know he, he reads my tweets. Never. He has never responded He's to me. And that's friend. no, I think he reads those tweets and he goes, Man, Jared Webb really wants Chris Archer. Um and now I've started tweeting at Chris Archer because I love him. Because be I love friend. him, Andy. Yes. No, I love him. Um but no it I just you really, again, with Dallas regressing a little bit last year, uh, he looked better at the end of the season. You need Heigl insurance. And that I know that sounds kind of mean, but really what I'm trying to say is you need to be able to cover another 200 innings. And if Keiko can't get you there, you need someone who absolutely can because we do have a lot of young arms. I think the problem that Luno is going to run into is that a lot of these trades – you're going to see a Springer or you're going to see a Bregman come up in these deals. And I don't think the Astros want to give away pieces of their lineup because then it starts to contradict. You just add it to the lineup, then you're taking something away, and you're taking a massive bat away, uh, which is the identity of the Astros. So navigating these trades with their deep farm system and not giving up a ton of major league talent, that's going to be uh, the trick that Luno has to pull off to get someone like an Arch or a Sale or you know, some of these huge names people are talking about. At this point, I'm really interested. Um, as much as I want Archer, I don't know that that's the guy we come home with. Uh, I think Luno said in an interview last night that, yes, they are actively working on the trade side so acquire a top-notch starting pitcher, but the prices are currently too high. Yeah, for Chris Sale, they're asking for George Springer or Alex Bregman. They're probably asking for Bregman. Um, and the same from Tampa Bay. It just doesn't make sense for them to give them up for anything because someone's going to pay that price. With what's happening to the price of starting pitching and with what Chris Archer's contract looked like and what he looks like, they're going to get exactly what they want. And, yeah, if, if this was all just to trade George Springer, I don't know that Josh Reddick – Josh Reddick is here to supplement George, George Springer, not replace him. So, yeah, if you end up having to get of uh, one of those two, then was it worth it, you know? Miguel Cabrera would have to be in that deal for me to want to give up one of those two right now. <laughs> that came out – I, I, I would like, need a young Miggy, yeah, a, a younger Miggy. You don't, like you don't, three you don't want, years ago, you don't want fat Miggy right now. Yeah, I would. I would even take Miggy from two years ago. I mean, I would still take Miggy from now, but I'm just saying, like the guy's guy, he'll last forever. But he, he's just I, a badass. I mean, he was winning bad really titles is. as a fat drunk. I mean, how awesome is that? 
That's true. I mean, I would absolutely love to add Miggy. It's just, oh, that's such a scary thought of what you'd have to give up. Yeah, basically your entire minor league system, um, a couple starters, um, a field, Junction Jack, Orbit, like, you, you know, you name it, just about everything. The train, Tallis Hill. Well, and that's the thing. You look, There are still other guys left out there. Um, Tehran, I think the Braves are still listening on him. Uh, at the Chicago White Sox are openly listening on Quintana, who's another guy. Uh, Sonny Gray is still out there. If you so think Sonny like Sonny Gray, still, you know, I know last year wasn't an ideal season for him, but the way you think about Archer is the way I think about Gray. Yeah, I, I love uh, a healthy Sonny Gray. is a beautiful. It's it's artistic. It's beautiful. It's a sunset. It's you know, it's amazing. It's Scarlett Johansson. But you're so he's so. It's like a love that could never be because you're so afraid of him, like falling apart and just disappearing, you know, kind of just because he is a smaller guy. He's a high effort guy. But, oh, yeah, if we if maybe I can fix you, you know, maybe maybe that's my type. Maybe Sonny Gray is our type. We just maybe maybe I can fix you, Sonny. I remember when he he first came up with Oakland. They had that playoff run in 2013. I saw him hit the major leagues. I, I was stunned. I I was like, man, that this guy, this is your next Cy Young Award winner right here. I mean, I I just thought he was just gonna take off, and you know, he has been very good uh, before the injuries kicked in. And last year, obviously, wasn't a good season, uh, but you know, he's just one of those guys that when he's on, it, you're right, it's a beautiful sunset. Uh, something else that's beautiful. Uh, I think it's the most important topic we have to talk about today. Uh, getting on to our entertainment segment. The only thing I got rolling right now, Jared, is Negan, and he has completely changed uh, The Walking Dead for me, so if you haven't caught up, you probably want to turn this off now, but if you are caught up, freaking Negan and Lucille, it's the best villain I've seen in a long time when it comes to TV and a show that was basically on life support for me and hasn't been interesting for a very long time. this is amazing. I, I'm rooting for Negan to take out as many characters as possible. Oh, and he, he started off the season right. I like I like that he's pushing Rick. I like that he's establishing pure dominance over Rick, really just not letting Rick slide on anything. If Rick tries, he just kind of – he does something to, to humble him, and that's, that's what we've wanted to see because, like, even the governor – the governor beat on him, Rick, and they they got thumped pretty hard. But man, Negan is just doing something else to Rick. Yeah, Negan would have taken out the governor in about thirty seconds, in my opinion. He he's he ain't bleepy bleepy bleep compared to Negan. Yeah, well, I mean, I am Negan. Negan, we, we are, are all. Yeah, exactly. We're all Negan. Uh, the big thing I worry about, though, is. I think you can do this season of Rick being down, of Rick being... Gardner Rick. Yeah, exactly. You know, being back to Negan gets all the weapons. And and yes, yes, you know, being kind of like Reek. He basically is now Theon Greyjoy. Well, I, I thought, you know, it's funny you make that comparison. I was referring to Daryl as Reek recently. Well, he, he, has, he does kind of actually look like the actor. But I'm just saying, like, you know... Cal Ramsey Bolton's 
you know, ways. And, and that's going to be Rick. I'm cool with it for this season. Next season, we need to, we need to see plans start being formed, you know, like anger starting to bubble because I'm going to get bored of Rick real quick. If he's this whole, like you can have all the guns and would, you know, take Carl, 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 Carl. Maybe, maybe that would make it more dramatic if Carl got hit by Lucille. I think in the I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think in the comics, um, they actually do cut you know, they have the scene where they're getting ready to mark him and they're about to cut his arm off. I think they actually Negan does that, but he does it to Rick and actually cuts Rick's arm off. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure hilarious. Rick is yeah, I'm pretty sure Rick is one handed in the comics, but obviously they're not going to do that on this show. Yeah, they changed it up. I think it's good they changed it up a little bit, though, <laughs> because everyone keeps expecting, well, this is what happened to comics, and the same thing like Game of Thrones, well, this is what happened to books. Well, shit, man, we don't want to see the same exact thing that happened in the comics or books, because you, you lose that uh, suspense and that surprise that we're all looking for. So I do like that they keep some of it, but then they also go their own direction. Well, yeah. I always just like to, basically what I tell myself is it's it's multiverse theory. Every one of them is a different universe where a different choice was made that led us down a different path. Um, and that just makes it more fun for me. So you do whatever you need to do to be like, yeah, it's cool that everything's not the same. So that's that's what I do. Multiverse theory. So this, this is a different Rick. At this point right now, if you could pick one character to get hit by Lucille in the next episode, who would you choose? Um, if I had to choose now, I feel like I would have to go with Carol. I don't like this rendition of of Carol being in trauma. I, I, I miss badass Carol, even though, well, maybe I'll change that because... Her story with Ezekiel is kind of interesting because that man is cuckoo loony pants, and I love it. Yeah, I love his and I love his reasoning for being loony cuckoo, loony, loony cuckoo pants. Um, so I really want to see that. I don't know. I don't know who I would take. Uh, I will come back to you on that question. I think I would take Morgan. I've had enough of his storyline already. It's it's just blah to me. He's been blah ever since he's come back. They always have to have a moral compass, and Morgan is the current moral compass. He will probably eventually die and be replaced by a new moral compass. Maybe it will be moral Coral. Um, but we'll see. Coral, Coral, get in the house. Coral has never once gotten in the house when Rick said get in the house. Coral, moral Coral, get in the house. Well, Shane tried to warn everyone. I feel like Shane would have been able to take Nate and, out. And, you know... Look at what happened to Shane. Shane does everything right, and he ends up becoming the Punisher. And Rick does everything the way he does things, and now he is Negan's lady. You know, now he is Negan's underling. He is he is not in a good situation. So way to go, Shane. I feel like it's hilarious because watching that second season of Daredevil, it felt like it was basically Shane slash Punisher. Like it felt like the same exact character, and it was great. I called him Punishane. <laughs> Punishane. Yeah, Punishane. Yeah, that was good stuff. So what do you got on TV right now, Jared? Anything that I'm missing out on? I know you have like 15 different shows you tell me to watch, and I haven't done it yet. I do. I have I have 50 different ones. Um, right now I'm watching Superstore. It is 
about people working at a retail like target style store it is on the goofier side uh think of the office but much goofier and they don't know the cameras are there uh really weird kind of wacky but also hilarious it and you can kind of see it happen like i wonder if this is what walmart is really like i will have to check that out what channel does that come on um, I believe it's ABC, but I'm not 100% sure. I'm currently watching it on Hulu. Yeah, the best way to do it. Netflix, Hulu, just pound that thing down in one day. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. A good one that's starting up this weekend, it's um, a drama. It's probably more of a show for the women, but I'm telling you, like, is this a good freaking storyline? And that's called The Affair on Showtime. And I, my mom got me hooked on it, and she told me about it. And I was like, well, this doesn't really sound up like a man's show but really good suspenseful show it's entering season three uh it's just a simple storyline about uh two people who are married and they have an affair and pretty much everything that transpires from it and from every single angle from every single viewpoint uh and it takes a first person account from the people who are cheated on the people doing the cheating and just you know just the effect it's it's kind of it's kind of like a lifetime show but it actually makes you think and the man's not always the villain so that's a good recommendation i always give to people if they want something different as the affair i was about to say i I like you taking a that's a bold step you know going out of the box and being like you know what i'm gonna go do something different so good on you it does sound at least somewhat interesting uh mama pondio or pondillo pondillo Mama Pondillo seems like she's got some interesting taste in shows, so that's cool. <laughs> Definitely. We all like our shows. We all like our baseball, um, but that's all the time we have for today. As the Astros make some offseason moves, we'll still hang with you through the offseason for some editions of the podcast to talk about uh, what this team is doing during hot stove season. So till next time, that was Jared Webb. I'm Andy Pondillo. This is Astro Chat. Happy offseason baseball, everybody.